Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. This is the uh, 11th week of our series, Practicing the Way. Uh, If you've been with us on this journey, we've been looking at uh, the core things that Jesus has called us to know and the things that Jesus has called us to obey. And so today I want to continue our series by exploring the idea of perseverance as an act of worship. Uh, By looking at a story that probably most of us, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been around for any amount of time, you're probably familiar with. uh, But if if you're not, uh, that's okay too. We're going to unpack it today from the book of Acts, in specifically in chapter 16. So what I'd love for you to do is grab a Bible. If you if you have a paper Bible, that's great. Uh, we also have some paper Bibles. If you don't have one in the back of the room to your right, over on the back wall, we'll also have it up on the screen. I want to encourage you uh, to bring your Bible. I know that that might sound old school, uh, but it's a great way to stay dialed in and to be able to take notes and follow along without distractions, if you know what I mean. In this tech age that we live in, it's so easy to be distracted. So I want to talk out of Acts chapter 16, uh, and I would invite you to turn there with me, if you would, or upload there, or just follow along on the screen. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 to 34. It says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Father, I pray today that you would just expand our understanding of what it looks like to follow you. I pray that you would use uh, my words to convey your truth. We ask that as we look at this, at this, at this old story that you would make this alive and new in our hearts today, that you would inspire us to see what it is you're telling us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you know Paul's story, uh, you know that this is a man who has changed (laughs) radically. Uh, He had seen and experienced the gospel's power and now has a gospel passion. The message of Christ is now the thing that motivates and drives his entire life. And that includes 
to the point of even losing it. He's well aware at this point, this is not his first rodeo, this is not his first jail cell that he's been in as a result of giving his life to Christ. And his passion can be seen all throughout his missionary journeys. That said, Paul and Silas, uh, his companion, they find themselves in a tough spot as a result of following the leading of the Holy Spirit into the city of Philippi. And it's here that they are met, it says, by a slave girl, if you read a little earlier in this chapter. The slave girl is operating by a spirit of divination, is what the word says. She was making her owners a lot of money through fortune telling. And this girl had been following Paul and Silas around for many days. And she was following them around and she was crying out with a loud voice. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation. And perhaps my most favorite part of the story comes next. I love what scripture does. It's very real. If you read it, it says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed... I just love that it shows us his humanity. Paul is upset. He's annoyed. This has been going on for days. Somebody following you around and calling you out. And finally, he gets so annoyed that he commands the spirit to come out of her. It's interesting when Jesus... It's interesting to to look at Paul and Jesus, right? Jesus, we have stories of how Jesus moved with compassion... He commands the spirit to leave the person. Paul, annoyed greatly, (laughs) commands the spirit to come out. Perhaps you've had some of those moments in your life. Well, this, this may have stopped one problem, but all they did was trade one for another. Because it started a whole string of events. After Paul does uh, some deliverance ministry, this girl's owners quickly realized that their moneymaker could no longer tell fortunes. He had kind of put them out of a job. And she was no longer able to make money for her owners. But instead of honestly describing what they had been doing at the time, they suggest that Paul and his companions are a threat to the peace, the very fabric of Philippi, and are promoting anti-Roman customs. So the authorities deem them guilty. And their treatment is both swift and brutal. They are stripped of their clothing. They are savagely beaten with rods, it tells us. And then they're sent to the inner prison. Now the inner prison was the belly of the beast. This is the section of the prison that was reserved for the inmates that you would never see again. And it says that they fastened their feet in stocks in verse 24. Now in Philippian jail, stocks were fastened to the ceiling. Uh, and prisoners hung by their feet upside down. So this is not like a Storyland photo op. If you, you know, anybody ever been to Storyland? Up in the White Mountains, right? They have like, I went there as a kid, you know, we're now taking our children there. Um, you know, they have this one area, I very specifically remember that you can go and you can, you know, you can put your head and your hands in the stock. That was not this. You were hanging from the ceiling by your feet. This was a serious situation. And it gives a lot of context to what's about to happen. See, our text starts with an interesting detail. In verse 25, it starts out with two simple words that carry a lot of meaning. About midnight. 
What's interesting is that midnight is the darkest hour of the night. It's the halfway point between sunset and sunrise. It's the epitome of total darkness. Yet, it's in this darkness that God chooses to do some incredible things. How many of, how many of you in here believe today that it can be during some of the darkest times in our lives that God does some of his best work? What do we see him doing in the hearts of Paul and Silas? Well, here they are, beat up, in pain, likely hanging upside down. And yet verse 25 says that they were praying and singing hymns to God. See, they're not sulking, they're singing. They're not pouting, they're praying. And in their darkest hour, they were found faithful. They were found to be worshiping God. Which leads me to my first point this morning, which is worship is a choice. For Paul and Silas, it was a response. Based on their eternal hope and not the present circumstances. I don't know about you, but I fear that my reaction under these circumstances would have been quite a bit different. As I evaluate their story. I think I would have had a a, a way more natural response of anger. Uh, perhaps uh, called upon a few of the imprecatory psalms over my captors. I love the one that talks about, oh Lord, break their teeth. Bitterness, uh, despair, self-doubt, doubts about God, doubts about his goodness. But what we see here in Paul and Silas is a different thing. It's a, it's a response of worship. Now, the reality is that a great number of us here in the Western Protestant church, I think, have been programmed to see worship as just a certain brand of music. It's like a whole industry, right? Or maybe just an activity that happens here on a Sunday morning in the 20 minutes that we have of singing together. And yes, while those things can be worshipful, Really, they are also just one small slice of what worship really and truly is. If I could turn my page, I could continue. Here we go. (laughs) If you got notes, uh, if you're a note taker, if you want to write this down uh, somewhere or jot it down on your phone, I would jot this down. Worship is a life and a heart posture that is oriented towards Jesus. Worship is a life and a heart posture that is oriented towards Jesus. And for Christ followers, worship is not optional. In fact, it's it's actually why this topic ended up in our series, because worship is a command. Let me uh, read a few spots here in scripture that outline this. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 100, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. First Chronicles 16.29 says, To ascribe to the Lord the glory... 
that is due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. These are just a few examples of all the commandments, and we have a lot in scripture that direct us to worship and praise God. Another expression of worship that we see in our passage this morning is in the same verse where it says that Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. Paul wrote other New Testament letters from prison. This is not his first one. And one particular one is found in Colossians chapter 4 where he says, pray also for us. See, prayer was part of their worship. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Does Paul ask that God would get them out of this? No. (laughs) Paul asked God to open up the doors of his ministry, not the doors of his prison. Really important. And we can and we can surmise that this is the same posture that he and Silas have in a Philippian jail cell too. Paul and Silas, though, are not alone, which leads me to my second point. Our worship through perseverance has an audience. The text says that the prisoners were listening to them. Not only that, but we, at the end of the story, we see that the prisoners with them when they had every opportunity to flee, stuck around. And you start to think about that, and you think about the impact on their hearts of the incredible devotion to God that they had witnessed and heard from Paul and Silas. See, this was a testimony. The way that they responded in their trial was a testimony to others around them. It's, it's almost as if the prisoners had said to themselves, well, I could have my freedom, But I'd rather stay here and find out more about a God who can inspire that kind of love and that kind of adoration for his followers. Dear friends, don't ever underestimate the impact that your devotion to God in a difficult season can have on the lives of people around you, on the lives of unsaved friends and family members or even complete strangers. You never know how your faithfulness to worship in a difficult season will impact the lives of people around you. Last week, I, along with several others from our church here, attended the funeral of a newborn. This beautiful little girl that was born into this world, only to be taken out of it very shortly after. And in a moment when it could, it seemed like the easiest and almost even the most natural thing to do, in that situation would be to curse God or to question his goodness or to harden their hearts. I, along with others here, watched two young parents worship, worshiping God through their deepest grief, their deepest despair. And we, the community of faith, surrounded them we wept alongside them we worshiped with them in that place in the presence of the lord and leaving that night i could not help but wonder what sort of impact that their worship and our worship through pain could have on someone else there 
And I continue to pray that God will use their story, their brokenness to bring others to himself. I don't know how that'll work. I'm not in charge of how that will work. But I pray that God will use this situation to bring others to himself. My third point this morning ties into this idea, which is just very simply this. Jesus saves. Do you believe that? Has he done that for you today? Jesus saves. He's still in the business of saving people's lives. Perhaps the most interesting character in our passage this morning is is this Philippian jailer who, when he woke up, realized that this great earthquake had happened and just opened up the prison doors and everyone's bonds were unfastened. These guys had fallen from the ceiling and they are free. But he realized that the doors were open and what happened? He realized, I'm in big trouble. And he proceeded to get ready to take his own life until he heard a voice cry out from the darkness. And Paul cried out with a loud voice that says, do not harm yourself for we are all here. See, this jailer knew that if, if what his worst nightmare had come true and all these prisoners were gone, he was going to be given the same treatment that the prisoners in that jail cell were going, had been experiencing. This is how it worked in Roman law. The, the prisoners, whatever their, their, uh, you know, punishment was, if you were the overseer of, of those prisoners and something happened on your watch, you were going to get the same treatment that they did. So knowing this and, and probably thinking to himself, uh, well, you know, I, I don't want to die by the sword of Caesar. I'm just going to die by my own sword. This Philippian jailer prepares his mind for the worst. But Paul cries out, do not harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, it says, and rushed in. And trebling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I love what they say. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household because the entire household believed that God was who he said he was. And that the peace and the love that Paul and Silas exuded while in a prison cell had made its way into this man's heart and into the heart of his entire family. See, this, jail, this jailer wasn't looking for Jesus. If you recall Paul's story, Paul wasn't looking for Jesus either. <laughs> Paul was the guy who was throwing Christians into prison. He was killing people for their faith. And then Jesus revealed himself miraculously on a road, blinded him, knocked him off his horse, Paul wasn't looking for Jesus either. But Jesus sometimes, he does this thing where he just gets a hold of people's hearts. Doesn't matter what they have in their heart. He just wants them to know who he is. And here's one of those moments. We see this happen with Abraham. Abraham wasn't looking for God. But God revealed himself to Abraham and said, you know, you're a friend of God. You're going to be father of many nations. 
There's a lot of stories in scripture where people aren't looking for God. They're not looking for Jesus. They're far from him. It wasn't like the jailer woke up that morning thinking, you know what? You know what I need today? I need Jesus. That's what I need. But it just goes to show that Jesus will save anyone who repents of their sin, believes in him as their Lord and Savior, no matter how far they are from him. We all know people in our lives that may seem far from Jesus. Let me just encourage you again. Continue to pray for them. Continue to engage as appropriate those people in your life with the gospel because you don't know what Jesus is really doing. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jesus saves. And the same power that saved them is the same power that can save you. And and perhaps you're here today and you hear that and you're like, you know what, that sounds great. I want that. I don't know what that is. Maybe you're wondering, how do I get that? What must I do to be saved? Well, the answer is no different today from what it was when Paul said it in the first century. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. It's like the best punctuation mark in the whole New Testament. You will be saved. And so if that's you today, if you're wanting to respond to this message of what Jesus is doing in the hearts of these people, what he's done in the heart of Paul and Silas. And as you read back in the story, Lydia, there's an incredible story in Acts chapter 16. I encourage you to go back and read it. Even today, go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 16 and read the amount of people that Jesus has worked in his story to save, to bring to himself. It's incredible. But if that's you today, if you're wanting to respond to Jesus in this way, I would love to connect with you right after our service. I'll be right up front here. I would love to talk with you. Please come and find me if that's you today. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling. You're in a season where you're struggling to find a reason to worship God. Maybe it's a difficult season. Let me just encourage you. Jesus can and will use our struggles as a way to develop our relationship with him. Uh, Just like a fierce storm can point out the weak and the strong parts of a house, so do the trials of life. Uh, They they point out the weak and the strong parts of our faith. Um, But we see as we look through the scriptures, if we look at the testimony of, of the saints down through the centuries, we realize that true commitment to Jesus is demonstrated through persevering over the long term. Those who will be saved are those who persevere in their faith. And no matter what, every situation presents itself as an opportunity for perseverance that builds trust to keep going and to keep holding firmly to the faith that we have been granted. In our passage, we see that Paul and Silas, they got physically delivered. But if you've been around for a while, if you've experienced real life and death situations, if you've read enough of the scriptures, if you've walked long enough with the Lord, you'll quickly realize that prison doors don't always swing wide. 
They don't. If, if, if you believe that because you're following Jesus, that things in your life are going to work out or they're going to go well, or I'm going to have a, a great, you know, family. I'm going to have, you know, a security financially. I could go on and on down the line of all these securities. If, if that's what we think following Jesus is, we need to look back at what scripture shows us because that's not where it is. If you've been around for a while, you realize that we're not promised open prison doors. So the question then becomes for a lot of people right from there. Well, what if, what if I don't get delivered though? Like what, what happens then? It's really easy. It's so easy to see how we can equate the promise of God to deliver us uh, with his goodness, with his faithfulness. And oftentimes, yes, his very existence. And when the healing doesn't come or the prodigal doesn't come home, or the thing that we so long for in our life is not happening. Now, his goodness, his faithfulness, and his existence get called into question. It's so easy to see how that works. But today, I want to remind us that the foundation of our worship and the biblical promise of Scripture is not that we will always see open prison doors in our life, but that we will always see a Savior that walks with us no matter what. How can someone lose a child and have the strength to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? How can someone lose a spouse and have the strength to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? And I think it's because they've realized that they have a God who promises to never leave them or forsake them. In fact, he's right there next to them every step of the way. So Elm City Church, let's worship in perseverance. Let's worship the Lord when things are not all good. Because that is a true act of worship. And that is a heart posture of someone who knows where their eternity and where their hope lies. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.